I have wrestled with. And so this morning is going to be a hard message for me. You may not get anything out of it, but it's going to be hard for me because it's, a, it's an area of hurt that I don't just feel for myself, but I felt for you and I felt for our community. And I love having solutions to problems, but I have banged my head against this for six and a half years. And if I were to evaluate my ministry as a pastor for the last six and a half years and my my ministry as a missions associate seven years prior to that, I would tell you that probably the one thing that I long for more than anything in the entire world is solid biblical community. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you hear nothing else, hear these words. Biblical community cannot be found. It must be built. God must be the architect, Christ must be the foundation, and you must be the builder. Let me say that again. Biblical community cannot be found. It must be built. God must be the architect, Christ must be the foundation, and you must be the builder. More people have gone looking for a new church home because of the fellowship and the relationships and the people in that church as those who have left a church because they believe they have not found those fellowships and relationships within that church. They have created in their minds this image of what biblical community ought to be and how people ought to treat me and how I should be welcomed in and how those people out there are not welcoming me into their little circles and more hurt and more harm has been done inside the body of Christ, inside the church, because biblical community cannot be found, it must be built. And it's high time that we stop looking for this perfect place and these perfect people amongst the imperfection that is humanity. And it's high time we stop blaming the bad situations of our life for the friends we can't find and how those people treat me. And we start taking a little bit of responsibility and saying, wait a minute, I'm those people. And if you're looking for biblical community, I'm begging you, please stop looking for it and start building it. I'm lonely in my soul some days. I long to see people not just enjoy one another, but love each other. I hurt for this community that we're in. I hurt for the community I live in. I hurt for the community you live in because for all the facades of the nice houses and the nice schools and the nice cars and the nice everything else, there are 300,000 people in the greater Katy area who need Jesus and they need to see it in his people and they will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. And I'm hurt over that. And I'm begging you, stop looking for biblical community and get in the game and start building. We've tried to run small groups in our church up and down. We've tried to run Sunday school classes up and down. We've tried to do this and we've tried to do that. Let me tell you, there is not a program that I can initiate or create and build that will meet anybody's needs, let alone everybody's needs. But if you're looking for that perfect place, I got news for you. Welcome, because here is where you will not find it. And if that disappoints you, amen. I'd rather it break your heart than just break your spirit a little bit. I'd rather you look out the the, the street when you walk out of your house and just go, I don't know that neighbor. And if I don't know him, I can't love him. And I don't know what's going on inside that house. I don't know what's going on inside that hurt. But the good news is I got a small group of people that meet on Sunday morning for about an hour or so. And so I check the box and I'm good. 
look into the biblical community and start building it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my favorite theologians, and he was hung just days prior to being liberated in Berlin. He was a theologian who preached in the pulpit long before the Third Reich came to power before World War II, and he was telling pastors and he was telling churches, you must stop this ideology from being preached in your pulpit because not only is it being preached in your pulpit, it is indoctrinating the people of Germany and it is putting this, this racial tension of this higher Reich, this, the, the, these Aryan race of people, it is going to not only destroy this country, it's going to impact this entire world. You must stop doing this now. He had multiple chances to get out of Germany. He even left a couple times and went back. He was finally captured, and we have a whole lot of his memoirs are written down on the backs of calendars and on wallpaper from the concentration camps that he, a German citizen, was put into. And just before the Allied forces liberated Berlin, they hung him. He is a pillar of theology. He talks about something called cheap grace, and it's that, that grace that we, we extend to one another that has absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. Oh, it's okay to, to put yourself in the sinner camp and be called a sinner because we're all just unworthy sinners. I got news for you. I'm a saint because I've been washed by the blood of Jesus. And yeah, I sin, but I'm not identified by my sin. I'm identified by the Christ who died for me. And it's high time that the rest of our community know that too. And if they're looking for biblical community, they're going to find a whole bunch of uppity, hypocritical people who not only don't love one another, but they're not chasing after Jesus. They're just people that get along and they like each other. Man, that's great. I used to love to shoot pool. I can't do it anymore because I can't see like I used to. But I can get that community, that fellowship, but I can't get Jesus there. That doesn't mean it's a bad place. It just means those, those fellas just meet up to shoot pool. That's all they do. And they're better at it than what the body of Christ is when they meet up to glorify Jesus, become more like him, to learn more about him and to tell others about him. Remember that show back in the 80s and 90s called Cheers where everybody knows your name? You know why that was so popular? It wasn't just because it was funny. It's because the people who watched that show could identify with the longing and the need, not just to be a part of something but to belong, but to know that there were no boundaries on those friendships. There was no barriers to those relationships, that everybody had a part and a role that they played, and that everybody was welcome there. Just imagine what would happen if your home was open to everybody in your community, not just because you were a nice person or you practiced hospitality, but because you loved Jesus and you loved him so much that it just drew people into your home. And they didn't just want what you have. They didn't want to just look and see how you decorate. They didn't want to know how good a cook you were. They wanted to know about the joy that you exude in every single moment of your life. How is it you can lose a loved one and still praise God? How is it you can lose your job and still praise God? How is it you can be relocated and still praise God? How is it you can live the same life I live and still praise God? How do you do that? You don't do it on your own. You do it with a community of believers. This morning... Our key idea from the book Believe that we've been going through. We're in chapter 16 this week. I encourage you to read along with us or, or to go and get one of those books after the service. The key idea that pops up in biblical, biblical community says this. is says, biblical community, I fellowship with Christians to accomplish God's purposes in my life, the lives of others, and in the world. Now, I want you to think about that statement for just a minute. I fellowship with Christians. That's just statement number one. Either I do or I do not. 
There's Yoda coming out, right? There is no trash. To accomplish God's purposes for my life. Wait a minute. We get to be selfish for a moment? Absolutely we do, for just a moment. Because in that selfishness, we submit to God and say, you have a purpose for my life, and to help me find that purpose and to exercise that purpose, I'm going to fellowship with other believers. I'm going to fellowship with other believers so that I can find God's purpose for my life, the life of others. Oh, wait a minute. So now this extends past me and all those in the world. Prior to his ascension, Christ gave us a couple of good commandments, great commandments. He told us about the reality of, of teaching them to obey all that he has commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to go out to the, the entire world to do so. But I got news for you, friends, that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the purposes that he has for you, that he's already planned for you, the good works in advance, you're not going to know those. You're going to find yourself in a very challenging place because you're going to run around purposeless. And every single one of us knows what that feels like at some point. We know what that feels like, but it's going to be on a grand scale from a spiritual point of view to say my soul is dry. And I'm not just in a desert, I'm just lost. And I believe in this God, I believe in this Jesus, but there has to be something more than that. And when I go to that church, I don't really fit in with those people, or I don't know those people, or I don't get invited here, those people excommunicate me, or that guy's a weirdo, or that lady, she's just one of those crazy charismatics. I don't care about all those things. It has nothing to do with them, it has everything to do with you, submitting to God's will and understanding his purposes and we fellowship with those people not just because they're the only ones that are as weird as we are but because God has provided them to us as a gift and us to them as a gift that's why I tell you friends this is why my heart has been breaking for years because I long for that in my own life and I long for that for the life of my church and I've seen more people leave churches and go seek in other churches because they didn't find this ideal community, this, this, this ideal place, this perfect place. But here's what Bonhoeffer said about that, and I agree with him. He said this. He said, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. I, I just chew on that for just a second. Those who love the idea, those who seek perfection in an imperfect world amongst imperfect people, fall in love with the ideal of what ought to be, could be, should be, might be so much that what's right there in front of them they completely miss and they break it down and tear it apart. That church just doesn't love me. Those people are just goody goodies. Those people are too stuck up and snobbish for me. They're all a bunch of weirdos, whatever the case may be. And we have this preconceived ideal of what we think biblical community is versus what the scripture actually tells us biblical community is. We're going to kill it, not in a good way. We're going to strangle it out. We're going to meet out of compliance. We're going to feel compelled to be there. I'd read an article this week that says biblical community always sounds good. Until something comes along. Think about that one for a second. Biblical community always sounds good until something better comes along. Oh, yeah, we'd be there. My kid's got a good baseball game. Oh, yeah, we'd be there. Oh, my daughter's got Girl Scouts. Oh, yeah, we'd be there. I got to work late. Oh, yeah, we, we'd, be, we'd be there. But have you been on I-10 lately? Oh, yeah, we'll be there. But, you know, we're just so busy the rest of the week. That's the one night of the week we just don't have. Friends, I get it. I, I, I've, I've made that drive. My wife makes that drive. I understand. I get it. 
I'm not about to let you off the hook because you find time for the things that matter. And if you don't believe me, then pull out your phones right now and take a look at your checking account. You find things, time for the things that matter. This is what harms me so much about biblical community, especially as a church, as we're rebuilding, coming out of a challenging time with COVID. When I would text or I'd call or I'd text, email, whatever the case may be, and try to catch up with people in the midst of while we were online, right? I'd just be out there in my own head just wondering, are they okay? Are they all right? Are they sick? Are they what the statisticians are telling me? Oh, man, finally we found a clean break to get out of church. Are they gone? Are they hurting? Are they scared? Are they afraid? How are they handling this vaccine or this mask issue? What are they wrestling with in the scriptures? God, should I? God, shouldn't I? What do I do if the pastor shows up and knocks on my door? Let's face it, pre-COVID, you didn't like it when I showed up at your door. (laughs) We just don't do that anymore, right? It's weird. We get more excited when Amazon comes to our front door than we do when the pastor does or somebody from the church. So much and so one of our members had to pull the Amazon truck out of a ditch a couple weeks ago. I don't have all the answers. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to a passage of scripture that you've probably read a couple of times. Acts chapter 2. Paul is not on the scene yet, but he's going to back up everything that Peter and the boys are about to tell us. The day of Pentecost had come. The Holy Spirit falls down upon the, the apostles like flames of tongue, like a mighty rushing wind. God goes audio and visual. He gets everyone's attention. They get up and they start preaching. They get accused of being drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. And they say, no, brothers, we're here to tell you things in languages that you know. God has given us this message, this Christ whom you've crucified. He died. He rose again. He saw and appeared before you for 40 days. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is here to grant salvation to everyone who would believe in him. The ways that our fathers taught us in the Old Testament were leading up to this person who is Messiah. Messiah, who is Jesus, and they're here to testify before him. And it says that Peter's words were so strong that they looked at him and said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Scripture says 3,000 people came to faith in Christ that day. Man, I would like to be there. Baptize so many people, your, your, your fingers get pruny. Wouldn't that be a good day? Your arms hurt after you're done. You see friends who have harmed you and broke your heart and have treated you bad and everything else, and you're debating how long do you keep them under. There was excitement in the city. There was frustration in the city. There was anger in the city. There was fear in the city. There were people who were longing for more. They had tasted and saw that the Lord was good. So what do we do now? We can't go back to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the ones who nailed him to the cross for our sins. We can't go back to them. They're not going to give us the right teaching. What do we do now? Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 tells us exactly what biblical community looked like then, and it is relevant today. Let's read that together. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you want to know what biblical community looked like then and what it ought to look like today, it is those verses right there. Everything, I'm telling you, everything you need to know about biblical community is right there. Everything. Everything. A guy named Stephen Blandino wrote a great blog, and I stole four of his points. I'm giving him credit for that, but I want to show you that these, these four things answer the question of what does community, biblical community really look like? What does it look like? And it's based on these verses, and the rest of Scripture just blows up and expounds, going all the way back to the Old Testament saying this is what it ought to look like, and the New Testament saying this is what it looks like in different cultures. This is what biblical community ought to look like. He says there's four things there. He says that there's, there's devotion, there's compassion, there's frequency, and there's growth. There's devotion, there's compassion, there's frequency, and there's growth. Every day they met in everyone's home and they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayers, to the breaking of bread and the fellowship. They were devoted to it. They were devoted to it in such a way that their frequency was such that every day they met in a home together. Now, I get it. We are in different times and we're in different culture, but every day we communicate with people around us who ought to know Jesus, love Jesus, and make us more like Jesus and us in the same vein, making them more like Jesus. Because when we're devoted to God, to following him for the purposes of our life, for the lives of, uh, of, of others, and for the whole world, then we're devoted to that. We're committed to that. We're making time to be around other believers in such a way that we're all seeking to be more like Christ, to be made more like Christ, to hold one another accountable and we do so not by our own means by our own measures but by what the scriptures tell us teaching them to obey all that christ commanded and when we have disagreements on that we work that out because we're at least starting from the same place and that's the biblical authority that god laid down for us that he left for us so many times we give the world's wisdom's answers for whenever somebody has a problem when really we ought to say what does the scripture say about that let's go back to the bible I don't know the Bible really well. Great, let's learn it together. Let's be devoted to these teachings. Let's take out some of the other things that get in our way throughout the week. Let's be disciplined in our intake of all that is offered to us and start taking in more of Scripture. Let's let the world decrease and Christ increase in us, not just on an individual basis, but community-wise. Let's be devoted in such a way that when we do have a disagreement, we love each other enough to know that we are actually here because God has brought us here, because God was the architect, Christ is the foundation, and we're the builders. And he is saying right here that when our foundation is Christ, we're devoted to that. When we're compassionate for one another, we don't let one another in the body suffer. And when everybody in the body is taken care of, God has given us the means and the methods and the measurement by which to seek outside that community so that we can work together to not just fix those physical needs, but to show those people that Christ loved us so much that we don't have this great grandiose ideal of what needs are because God's provided those needs and we want to help you out. We want to provide for you collectively as a whole, as a group. You know, it's really, really hard to do that when we're suffering internally. Look at yourself for a moment. 
consider how hard it is to love others when they don't even like you. Consider how hard it is when you're in financial hardships to give to others. I didn't say impossible. I said hard. Considering how hard it is when you only focus on yourself so much and only focus on your problems so much and only focus on your hurts and your harms so much that you forgot that not only is there a God that loves you, he loves your entire community, and you don't have to carry this burden by yourself. You were not meant to. Probably one of the worst pieces of theology I've ever heard is God will never give more than you can handle. That's a lie. You can barely even handle getting out of bed in the morning. It was God that granted you the mercy of waking up. Didn't he give you this day? Is this not the day that he has made? Will we not rejoice and be glad in him? You better believe God gives you more than you can handle. But he also gave you enough smarts to say, I don't have to do this by myself. That is a lie of the enemy. Stop buying it. When you're building biblical community, when you're actively participating in building biblical community, you're going to have disagreements because we're people, imperfect as we are, being made more like Christ. But when we are devoted, when we're compassionate, and when there is frequency about how often we meet and we bring God into the situation, then there's growth. There's growth. I was accused once, and understandably so, of loving people outside of the church more than I love people inside the church. I'm here to tell you that's not mutually exclusive. That, that statement hurt me when it was said, and I understand why that person was hurting the way they were. But I'm going to tell you something, friends. If we don't love people outside of the body of Christ, they are going to a real place called hell. And I'm secure in knowing that we're doing what we can inside the biblical community. But listen, discipleship must have an element of evangelism in it. Or it's not discipleship, it's only knowledge. It's only learning, it's not doing. And while we need to learn and obey all the commandments of Christ, we need to go out into all the world and spread those out. We need to be about reaching those other people. So how do we build biblical community? We've got to spend time with one another, with intent. We've got to prioritize our life in such a way to say, I'm going to make certain that I'm spending time with other believers. And, and, and listen to me, I get it. Every one of you is at least one person's sandpaper person. You know what they are? You know, those, those ones that just rub you the wrong way? And some of y'all are like 60 grit. You, you rub more than just the wrong way. I mean, there's people's voices that just causes the hair on the back of my neck to stand up. Isn't that terrible your pastor's telling you that? Right now, you're thinking, I may not talk to him ever again. <laughs> hey, I'd love to live in utopia, but I'm going to take heaven over utopia any day. And I'm not there yet. And I'm going to say and do or not say and not do things that's going to cause people to look at me and just wonder, do you even know Jesus? Because I'm human, just as you are. That doesn't give you room to go sin like crazy gives you room to seek grace but friends we've, we've got to be more intentional about building biblical community and we've got to give a little bit of grace to stop looking for it because it doesn't exist without you 
Have you caught on to that yet? I, 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 I triple dog dare you to come to the same hard place I came to this week. If you don't have the biblical, biblical community that you want, then that's your fault. I've been kind of miserable to my family this week. Testy, to say the least. Chewing on this. It's one of those areas where how do you get up and preach something that you're not practicing? So how do we build biblical community? There's three things I would recommend to you. Seek Christ. I don't care what the group is. I don't care what the environment is. I don't care what's going on. If they're not actively seeking Christ, it's a community, it's a club, it's a group of people, but it is not a biblical community. And please don't confuse the two. I'm not saying you can't have those relationships and those friendships and those other things. I think you should. I think it's right. I think it's, it's healthy for you. I think those are great outreach opportunities for you to live a life of a Christian inside of other environments that are, that are uniquely not Christian. But I'm telling you, if you're looking for biblical community and they're not talking about Jesus and learning about Jesus and trying to become more like Jesus and holding one another to be more like Jesus, it's not biblical community. It's a club. And it may be great fellowship and great friendships and great places for people to gather and meet, but it is not biblical community. And we, we've got to start calling it what it is. And if you are around people predominantly in your, in your life, the hours of the day that you spend are not people seeking and chasing after Jesus, oh, man, you're going to be in a world of hurt. It's going to be hard for you to be the only one in a group seeking after Jesus when everybody else isn't. I'm not saying abandon your friends. I'm not saying to leave those people. I'm saying that you need to prioritize that the right way. There has to be a place where you're seeking after Jesus, and that's the foundation of biblical community. Christ first. If you're in a small group, if you're in a Sunday school class, they don't open up God's word, they don't pray, they don't get together for the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Not biblical community. Call it what it is. It's not three out of four ain't bad. It's all of them, and it starts with Jesus. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek a bunch of friends who are trying to be better than what they were or looking for others who can kind of keep their sin okay. That's not what it says. It says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Seek Christ first. Secondly, love one another. You know, that's so easy for us that the scripture says that about 350 times just to remind us how important it is. In case of emergency, pull. Those are pretty good instructions, right? One of our favorite movies is, is, is uh, Better Off Dead. It's an old movie, and they're skiing down this mountain, and the advice is go that way very fast. If something gets in your way, turn. Man, what would happen if you chased after Jesus that fast? And when sin got in your way, and when heartache, and when personalities, and when voices you didn't like got in your way, 
instead of turning and running away, he opened your arms and he just hugged them. And you became vulnerable enough to say, you know what? I bet there's things about me you don't like either. But I'm going to seek Christ and I'd like to seek him with you too. And I would like to also love you unconditionally. And I'd like to be loved unconditionally. You know, that's one of our greatest human needs is to love and to be loved. To reciprocate not just the love that someone else gives to us, but the love of the Father that is in us. In fact, it is not me that loves, it is Christ in me that causes me to love because I don't like any of you. But I'm sure glad Jesus is better than I am. Ephesians chapter 5, you can turn there if you like. It's not on the screen, but let me read for you what verse 15 says. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. Man, wouldn't you like to have friends like that? Not friends you can take advantage of and not friends that take advantage of you, but friends that just love Jesus and just say, okay, I get it. I see where you are. Friends that don't excuse your sin but help you walk through that, see Jesus a little clearer. Galatians 6.2 tells us, bear one another's burdens. Oh, man. So now I have to be around these people. Now I have to listen to them. And now you want me to actually carry their self-inflicted problems? Because let's face it, a whole lot of our own personal burdens we have put on our own back. Have we not? Because remember, Christ won't give you anything more than you can handle. <laughs> Everything happens for a reason, right? Usually because you make stupid decisions. We're to bear with one another's burdens. We're to look and see, as Romans chapter 14 tells us, that, that we have members of the body who are weaker than others. And we're to bear with them and not impose our opinions upon them in such a way that if we don't live up according to our own high standards, that's sinful. But instead, with kindness, the right attitude, we carry them along and bring them with us. We're not excusing where they are. We're helping them to understand that there are commandments they haven't learned yet. And we're going to help you discover those and find those. And we're only going to do that in biblical community. We're going to do that together. We're going to extend some grace. One of the great challenges that we've had this last year, and we're getting back to doing that, and I praise God for that, because while I appreciated the ability for online services and for our church to do that, there was always that one piece that's missing, but Hebrews 10 just kept coming to mind. It says over and over, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, being from Texas, when I think about spur, I just think about somebody's on your back kicking you in the flanks with something sharp. I mean, that's an aggressive attitude. That's a 165-pound, not very bright person with a nice hat on top of a 2,000-pound animal, harming it with intent and trying to stay on for eight seconds. Genius! Let us consider how to spur one another on. Let's consider how to push someone into danger, trusting Christ. Let us consider how to let someone say, nope, 
I'm comfortable right here because the more I know, the more I have to act like Jesus. So I think I'm going to stop here. Let's spur one another on to good works. That passage continues on to say, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day, capital D, approaching. The great and terrible day of the Lord approaches. The day by which Christ will return finally. He will judge both the living and the dead. And those who are in Christ will rise first, as Thessalonians tells us, and we will be judged for all of our actions. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Those are the words I want to hear. But there are so many outside of biblical community. There are so many people who haven't got that loving one another thing down, who haven't got the humility side down, who haven't broken down their barriers, who are hiding behind so many different areas that really it's just personal, that's manifesting outwardly, that they're struggling to find that. It's hard. I get it. I'm living it. My heart's broken over it. And I'm as lonely as the rest of you. And I think you know I'm right. And I don't just long to be with you and to know you. I long to know Jesus better with you and through you and because of you. If you were to go to any church, I think, I believe this, any church in America right now, I think they'd probably tell you something similar about biblical community, of how hard it is. It's easy to draw a crowd, but hard to get Jesus in there. Man, when Jesus drew a crowd, he was busy just knocking heads and upsetting people, right? Healing the sick, making the dead rise. And they all got together with gnashing of teeth that Jesus could draw a crowd, couldn't he? happens when we draw a crowd what happens when our homes are far more important than this place right here the single greatest financial asset that the Lord has provided for us is a church in our living room a dinner table for people to sit around and talk about how hard life is and how good Jesus is how tough raising kids is but thank God for his grace how difficult it is to lose a loved one but to know that they are forever with the Lord in glory. I fellowship with Christians. That's a statement in itself. I fellowship with Christians to accomplish God's purpose in my life, the lives of others, and in the world. Do you? Do you wish you did? Do you want to? That's probably the best question to ask. Do you want to? I know most of you pretty well. Known you a long time. Some of you I don't know well. I'm just going to go on a good assumption here and just say that if you believe the words of this Bible to be true, then you're going to believe what I say to you next is true. That biblical community cannot be found. It must be built. God's the architect. Christ is the foundation and you must be the builder.
we have a golden opportunity to come out of the summer into our community, mask off, COVID dropping down, people still needing Jesus. We're certainly rebuilding as a church. Y'all know that. It's been rough making changes, losing folks, the whole works. But we've got to get past the superficial gathering and move into deep relationships that have Jesus at the center. That may or may not hurt your feelings. That may or may not tug on your heartstrings. But I just don't think there's anything false in that statement ever. Nothing is lost by loving Jesus more and being with his people. Nothing. I prayed this week about how do I talk to the church about the next step or where we're going or what we're doing. And I have to be honest with you. When it comes to small groups and biblical community, I got a lot of ideas, but I'm going to tell you, it's just like the budget on, that we vote on once a year. You can vote yes all you want, but if you don't give to the budget, it's not going to happen. We can have a Sunday school or a small group or a home group or whatever, but if you do not make it a priority in your life, it doesn't really matter. I'd love to tell you that the cure for what ails you is being around other believers and letting them help you carry your burdens, open up your heart, your mind, and your home, calendar. Man, that's below the belt, Pastor. But the cure for loneliness, the cure for a lack of fellowship, it comes from being devoted to the apostles' teaching, which are written in that book. It comes from fellowshipping with other believers. It comes from having all things in common so that nobody has need amongst us. It comes from the frequency by which we spend time with one another, learning more about Jesus and how to be more like him. And it comes from growing, not just in Christ, but growing others to know him. As the band comes up and plays this morning, I want to talk to you about the, the final understanding of what was spoken this, in, the, in Acts chapter 2. The apostle Paul would later come on scene and he would talk to the people about the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread and the shedding of blood and doing this in remembrance of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see this beautiful picture of the Lord's Supper. In our church, we practice what's called open communion. That means that if you have professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are in good standing with your Lord today because, listen, we're human, we're not always. And we're going to invite you to take of the, uh, of, of the body and blood of Christ, the representation of those through the wafer and through the juice. But if you're not in good standing with the Lord, if you're not in good standing with one another, then, then don't participate. It's okay. We're not keeping track. We're not keeping tally. But there was such a problem amongst the believers that they'd gotten Jesus out of the picture that they were just going through these rote, habitual things that they were missing the worship part of the Lord's Supper. And so here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34 tells us this. It says, But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. 
when you come together